Welcome to today's podcast, Global Citizen Life. Today on the show, we have Emily. And Emily, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Sally. I'm so excited to be here with you. I appreciate the opportunity. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your journey and kind of what's brought you to where you are now? Yeah, um, so I am Australian. I'm currently living in New Zealand um, and I met my husband here, I don't know, 20-something years ago. I haven't lived in Australia for a long time. Um, And his role in hotels took us into Asia. So I had a career in human resources and uh, his role took us firstly into Hong Kong, which I was able to work very easily as a dependent in Hong Kong. But then we got moved to India and it became more challenging. So I started working as a coach in India. And then we got to China, Chongqing, way out Western China, biggest city you've never heard of. And I couldn't work (laughs) because of language and legal barriers. And then we got to Taiwan and I tried to work, but again, the language barriers and not being able to read the local legislation when I wanted a human resources role was a barrier. And so I made a decision that I needed something for myself. I volunteered my time and I retrained. I did a lot of things in all those different countries, but I got to the point where I needed something for me. I can't, couldn't just keep reinventing myself every time we moved. And so I decided to start a business, which for me, the priority was it's a portable business because I don't know when we get moved. We don't get a lot of notice. Hopefully it's not anytime soon, but uh, we do get moved regularly. And um, being able to continue that no matter where we lived was an absolute priority for me. So I started my business almost five years ago and continued it in transition to New Zealand. (laughs) Excellent. That's great. Yeah, it's it's interesting, especially nowadays, I think, since the pandemic um, that, you know, that there's always been a a certain number of of people in the world that businesses or sorry, travel is part of their business. And they move, whether it's, you know, for two years, three years, five years, and then another place and another place. But now there's more people that are doing that individually. So maybe the spouse is being moved or both decide, hey, let's start a business. Let's work remotely or their own work is allowing them to work remotely and then they can live in different areas. One of the challenges, and and perhaps um, now that you've been doing this for about five years and and moving a bit, have you found time zones being a challenge with clients or even still sometimes even connecting with with family and stuff, but more so with with times uh, with clients? Yes. I mean, being based now in New Zealand, we are literally the start of the world in terms of you know, I'm a day ahead of you. Um, right. So it is It is a real big challenge. And especially when, when you're trying to connect with people initially, that's when it's a challenge. Once people become a client, we tend to know each other's schedule and we know what works. I've got some days where my girls go to school very early in the morning so I can connect that, that evening time in the Northern Hemisphere. That tends to work quite well. But it's the connecting initially that becomes the barrier. And yeah, you, when people say I'm I'm EST or I'm this, I'm like, could you just give me the name of a city? <laughs> it's, so, it's so much easier for me to look up a city name than it is because everyone talks about time zones differently as well. And that's a big challenge as well. But mm. it is, it's a huge challenge. Also, I find too um, that when there's daylight savings time, that also then, even though it's an hour, that one hour can be like, you missed each other. You missed the call. You missed the meeting. 
Um, and I'm, I'm considering that because I'm, I'm currently, as we're recording this now in Canada, preparing to, to get back on my travels, which will bring me to the U S briefly, then into Europe. But then, um, I was saying to friends, like, I'm not, I'm not going to be anywhere cold this year for winter. Like I will be somewhere warm. (laughs) I don't know where yet, but I'm looking at, at parts of Asia, the Middle East, um, for at least kind of December, January, February. And yeah. so I'm also now thinking about what can I do in advance to kind of schedule things, to keep things yeah. close, like with my podcast and the days and times that it, that it goes to kind of yeah. schedule those, but then knowing hard in a way, it'll be exciting because then I'll be interviewing different people, hopefully from a different time zone and different experiences, but it is going to be kind of more challenging, um, being in a, like I'm used to an eight hour difference, seven yeah. hours or less, no problem. But now we're going, you know, 12 yeah, it plus is hard. hours. And when you, when you, when you're talking about, you know, daylight saving, you're complicating it, you know, when we kick into summer, you kick out of it. So it becomes what could be a right. five hour time difference, a seven hour time difference. So it, it is a big deal. And the dates that country changes, um, yes. it, 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 that's another big, big impact. I find found living in Asia easier I have to say to manage because I could connect with um you know Asia Pac New, uh, New Zealand and Australia easily as well as the northern hemisphere easily because it's sort yeah. of that midway point um mm-hmm. I didn't find that much easier um but New Zealand I do feel like I'm at the bottom of the world <laughs> <laughs> there's another way to phrase that that I won't use but it really does feel that way sometimes so <laughs> Yeah, Asia is much easier. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm definitely taking that into into consideration. And so yeah. you you did mention that you have children. Yes, yes, I've got we've got two girls. So they okay. were actually born in India. So their lives were Asia based, and moving to New Zealand was their first experience in a passport or citizenship com- country. So um, that's been really unique for them coming back here as well. So. Um, mm. I guess, you know, delving a little bit into the, the positives of having your own business in, in this sort of environment is that people think of it when their kids are little, that that's when they need to be present for them. But I'm actually finding now as they become teenagers, being able to manage my time. So I am there for the school pickup and I am around. I'm not doing their homework with them, don't get me wrong, but I'm floating right. around. The things that mm. pop into their head for conversations, but having that flexibility and managing and owning my time by owning my own business is so invaluable now and I can see the next five years you know as they come into the more problematic teenage years it be becoming Mm. more and more crucial and you know just the other day something happened I was just reminding myself how grateful I am to be in this position where I do own and manage my time and I think you know time zones can be a challenge but being able to flex your time around your family is also such a privilege Right, right. And how, how are they? uh, Well, I have a couple of questions. So being born in India, did they automatically get Indian citizenship or resident like well, they got residency because you were there, but do they, because in some countries, it's automatic, some it's not. Yeah, they get a, they they have the opportunity to apply for, it's called a person of origin, or PIO, person of Indian origin. It's a 25 year visa. It would give them the opportunity to buy property, to work, basically live as a local. 
we haven't applied for it because you have to surrender your passports for eight to 12 weeks to get it. And it's not something I'm prepared to do. So I could have probably done it during the pandemic because uh, we couldn't travel. But um, yeah, I just wasn't prepared to surrender the passports and haven't been at any time. Um, you know, both my parents have had cancer. My dad's now died. Um, you know, just to be able to get on a plane when you need to, because it's mm -hmm. your parent passport as well as their passports have to go in. So they are mm -hmm. eligible. And I think there will come a time for them retracing their lives that it will be mm -hmm. important to be able to go back and we have very strong connections with Indian families where we lived you know for them to go back and revisit and connect and you know be a part of that life again I think that will be a priority for them um it's just <laughs> giving up the passwords they can do it when they can do it on their own <laughs> right right well and as you said though too you never you know with your husband's work and stuff you never really know and there's always like the worst case scenario of the passports get lost yes. somehow it, it happens a friend of mine in the united states she sent hers in for renewal and i don't know what happened tracking system i don't know if it was fedex or who whatever company yes. they use like they use the whole tracking system and somehow somewhere her passport vanished. just yeah. vanished and i can understand you know the, the the giving it up and not wanting to and then because what if something happens and then it's a nightmare to kind of start all over, yeah. especially yeah. then if you have to be going somewhere as well. Yeah. And, and we got them the citizenship for Australia and Australian passports first, because I mm -hmm. traveled alone with them often because um, my okay. husband was working and right. I'm Rogers. They're not, <laughs> they've got a different name. Um, so I got them the Australian citizenship and the Australian passport to do that because they were born in India, it was actually a real challenge because at the time, surrogacy in India was a big business. And oh. so there was a whole lot of legalities and paperwork that had to be provided to prove that they were actually my my daughters um, and that I'd given birth to them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Australian citizens. So, yeah, you, you, your passports become absolutely invaluable. And, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, you, you cherish it so much more. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Pass, passports are are kind of the, your golden ticket to the world, really, for, yeah. for yeah. travel and, and many other things, too, that um, there are advantages for, as you said, for them to potentially buy real estate. It makes it easier to open bank accounts, international investments. Um, yeah. I'm a true believer everybody should have more than one passport. And honestly, the more passports you have, the better um, <laughs> is, is truly how I feel. And so how... At what age did they move and, and how did they transition? So we've moved every two years until we okay. got to New Zealand. Um, so we had two years in Mumbai uh, where Miss J was born, two, uh, three and a half years in Delhi actually where Madame S was born. And both of them were born sort of four to six weeks after landing. So I wow. landed heavily pregnant and gave birth in a country I'd never been to the first time. It was, yeah, lots of... Um, challenges but some really lovely rewards as well uh then we spent two years in Chongqing in China and then two years in Taiwan and we've actually been back in New Zealand now uh coming up four years um so I say back I lived here for seven years before we went into Asia um mm -hmm. but um each move when they were younger um you know they're, they're very resilient they, they bounce mm -hmm. back it's just about mm -hmm. the friends. It's about who, who am I talking right. to? What toys are we playing with? You know, it was very, very mm -hmm. rudimentary. 
um, once they were in school, um, you know, pro providing records and things when the school systems are completely different, that was a little bit more challenging. Um, we were fortunate that the last school they were in in Taiwan coming into the New Zealand system was a British school and there's a lot of similarities between the New Zealand system and the British system. Uh, so that part made it easier. Um, we have chosen to go with a private school in New Zealand because of the options should we get moved again. It provides a boarding facility. They could come in at the end of primary school and continue through rather than then having to change schools again. And a lot of the move when we chose to come back was about giving a bit of stability to them because mm -hmm. they had moved so often. I think if we got moved now, it would be more challenging. And there's mm -hmm. an organisation called Families in Global Transition and they're doing an awful lot of research around it. And there's an age sort of 14 to 17 that moving kids where their identity is social rather than younger than that, their identity is parents and family can have a negative impact and or a different impact, I guess I should say. Um, so having that option to have boarding should we get moved was really important to us as well. So I, I don't think we're going to get moved anytime soon with some wood, knock on wood. <laughs> I, I, I hope not for you. And, and, and yeah, that's understandable because when I first left Canada, my daughter was 13 and we went from a large city of over a million people to a Spanish speaking country to a town of 20,000. And um, she hated it. Yeah. She thought it was like, for her, it was the worst thing I, I could have done um was was to move her there and so it's interesting that i i do believe that the younger years they're more resilient yes but kind of once they hit those yeah. teenage kind of close to high school junior high perhaps yes. um it definitely is um more challenging especially for a first time move yes. and maybe you know if if children are used to it because i've i've met some families that their kids are used to it they're like yep it's just another move they speak many languages um, but they do have that close family because they're used to many moves. But yeah. the first or second kind of move at those teenage years, if if I were to do it again, I would have either did it sooner. Yes. So then it was easier for her or wait and wait for her to finish school and then perhaps go by myself. Um yeah when she yeah. was uh, after she was done school and so you see a lot of those what they call third culture kids you know they do mm. experiment a little bit more with identity um you know mm. tattoos become quite a thing because it gives a sense of identity you know there's a whole lot of sort of things that you when you look into it you do notice one positive I think I would highlight is because of the way that it has happened for us mm -hmm. the girls were really really close I mean they're 13 and 11 but mm -hmm. they really do enjoy each other's company um, and so we've got this advantage now where, you know, they're close and they're happy in each other's company. They have their own friends socially, but actually mm -hmm. that's come through as well. And, and other families comment because it's not necessarily normal for sisters right. to be that close. Mm. And well, and I think too, it's, it's kind of how expats, when we move to a new place, we gather around expats because we know what it's like to be an expat. We know what it's like to move to a new country, not speak the language, not know where anything is, not even know how to buy the similar type things in the grocery store or yes. or different things. And, and we have that kind of instant connection where chances are if we met in the same city, like our home cities, we may not even be friends. 
Exactly. But, but we have that. So I think, you know, with them, they have that extra connection because they know, you know, they've had to move many times. And, and I think kids like that, they, they do kind of bond closer together because of, of knowing what it's like to go through and to miss your friends and to have to move and, um, and kind of regularly uproot. And we used to do the expat thing, you know, summer, the summer 10 week break, you know, we'd go and spend mm-hmm. a month with the in-laws and then a month with my parents and go back again. So, you know, the other schools where we were visiting weren't on holidays because it was winter right. down here. So they were mid-year. So it was often the two of them. So there is, there is an uptick in terms of that. Yes, they're resilient. They're very close. Mm-hmm. You know, the other side is they can talk to anyone. They've got so many interests and there's so many, you know, experiences. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're still little, but they can actually talk to anyone. And so they get invited to do things with our older neighbours, you know, come and do some crafting, come and come and experience this, you know. With my uh, mother-in-law's friends, they invite them to come and do things with them because they're interested and they're interesting to spend time with. So there's lots right. of Right, and I, yeah, I think too it's, it's kind of one of those things um, for a lot of people that I've talked to is they say, you know, once you start to travel and whether it's like, for me, it's, it's travel is moving. <laughs> like I, I move to many countries and I know I'm, there's going to be more because once, once we kind of see a little bit, we realize like we, we know a lot within our own world, like, yes. our, and I mean, like, just like our own kind of inner world. But once you start going to other countries, there's so much more to learn. And so part of it is like, I think I know a lot, but once I start to travel a lot, I really don't know much as a global kind yes. of world. And, yes. and so for me, it's very interesting because I think in every culture around the world, I think there's positive things and I think there's negative things and negative just doesn't necessarily mean like it's bad or terrible, but just, it may, I say it could be negative. It's just because I'm not used to it because my, the life that I've had where I've grown up, but I know if I was switched at birth as a baby and raised halfway around the world in another family, my thoughts and beliefs would be completely different because they're the thoughts and beliefs of everybody around us. And, and some people don't really, they don't think about it or, or understand it. And so, you know, I like to have what I'll call debates with people about why they have a completely different opinion of mine. And it's just, because a lot of times when you ask somebody, why do you think that? Or why do you believe it? It will, because. Uh, it's, it's just the way I've it is. But, it or I've always known it. <laughs> right. And so when you can ask and, and you get into reasons and they say, well, my experience was this or because of this, then it's like, oh, that's interesting. If I had that experience, I probably would think that way. But this is what I've had. So I'm not, I'm not changing my thoughts. Sometimes I will a bit, but it's, it's yeah. about being more open. And I think when people are more open to other people's opinions and beliefs, because all they truly are is experiences, yeah. so they're not right or wrong, it makes just the world more interesting and it makes travel more interesting. And it's yeah. probably why your your daughters as well are so resilient with so many things and they're interested in so much because there's they think, wow, there's so much and it's all so different. Exactly. And I think you might have noticed this as well. Now that we've moved a lot, we ask more questions. We don't assume anything. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, in terms of then connecting with people differently, it, the opportunity is more open to that because we're, we're not assuming anything. We're just asking questions because we're literally interested and want to know and want to understand. So I think that right. is another sort of spin off of it. 
And so with all these experiences that you've had either personally with moving to different places, with your daughters, having them in foreign countries and, and, the, and all of that, um, I'm sure a lot of that you bring into your coaching business. Yes, and so yes. how, I mean, it's, it's just so much knowledge and experience that I guess in, in many ways, clients maybe are unaware of or just don't think about because we just don't think about things that we don't know. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And and when I started my business, um, I actually had a different name for it as well, but it was just, I was providing support groups for people who were moving their families and it was a WhatsApp support group. It was very, very functional and very basic. But more and more, I was getting drawn into, well, what if I wanted to return to work? What if I wanted to start my own business? What if I wanted to? And so women were then asking me to help them make that sort of second shift that's that that transition beyond the country transition but their own personal transition as well and so my business over the last five years has changed and and the leap to lead being a transition and leadership coach is about taking all of those skills and experiences and supporting individual women and empowering women is an absolute passion but also companies who are moving people who are displacing the partner the spouse and moving them potentially from their own careers and supporting them I think you, you probably know it when you when corporates move people the majority of or the major reason that assignments fail is because the spouse is unhappy and unsettled and so wrapping some support around them drawing on my experience in human resources in the leadership roles and my personal experience it, it, I can really support them through it. And it's not location specific. I mean, you, you know, as well as I do, there's core things you have to consider with every move, whether it's your first move or your fifth move or you're patriating, it doesn't matter. These are the things you need to be thinking about. So it's, it's been amazing working with people. And I do tend to work with a lot of expats around the world because I've got the personal experience as well as um, the professional um, support behind it, experience behind it. So it is interesting how people naturally gravitate. <laughs> right. And I'm sure there's, there's things that um, are, are kind of like the core basics of things that you, you deal with a lot with, with everybody. And then there's kind of individual different things. So what, what would you say is maybe the top two or three kind of core things that that people need to kind of either be aware of or work on or kind of prepare in advance to help make that transition as smoothly as possible and you know it doesn't matter if this is a country move a state move or whether it's a shift from I've been at home parenting my kids and I want to have something else it's mm -hmm. actually the same we all go through a sense of loss we all mm -hmm. at some point feel this eroding of confidence and this unsureness about what do we do? What do I do next? Where do I step next? What, what does it look like for me? And because we don't know initially, it hmm. then perpetuates the confidence erosion, which perpetuates the sense of loss. And so being a transition and leadership coach, it applies to, to so many different um, situations because this is, this is what happens. And, and when I say this happens, it shows up in your life by being really short with people or being a bit snappy or mm -hmm. not treating the ones you love the most the way you really want to. Um, and despite your best efforts, you know, you still snap at them. You still 
you know, get really sarcastic and and you don't really understand why. And until you take a step back and go, hang on a minute, I don't want to be this person. Why am I doing it? And give yourself that space. Then you can understand that for whatever reason, is it because you moved countries or companies or whatever it is, your purpose has shifted and you need to reconnect with what that's going to be for you to now move into your second space. If you've moved countries, it's usually going to happen around six, eight months after you've done the physical move that you feel right. that way. Um, and it's occasionally different to that, but it's usually, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's usually that six to eight months. And women, they, they find, oh, I say women because it's often the trailing spouse, but it's men as well. They start getting angry with the family. They start and, and they just... And they can't figure out why. And, and, and it's, that's when I can step in and say, well, have you thought about it? Can you, can you and, and start to reposition their thinking? Because it shows up when you're not, show, you're not showing the love you want to show for the people you love the most. And it can be the way you're treating yourself, the way you're treating your family, the way you're treating your best friend. It'll show up in those relationships. And once you can see it happening just stepping back and saying hang on a minute why and it will be a shift in purpose and so how do you reconnect with that by just digging back into your strengths what are my strengths how do I want them to show up in my life and how do I want them Mm. to use them to serve others and you can then start to move forward again um so it, it and I don't know why six to eight months I think because you're so busy doing stuff until that point you mm-hmm. finish that stuff around four months and then you start to then start to wonder what next, what should I be doing? Right. And uh, I've, I I've actually more. done kind of that with every move. So I willingly move myself um, and I tend to move to a country that I've maybe been to for a couple of days and then left and I don't know a single person don't speak the language so I I do it like the worst possible way I I don't recommend the way I do things for people but even this last time that I moved I think it's like my fifth or sixth country and I moved and it was great and I love it and I think you're right it's we're busy we're getting used to stuff um you know for for families they're getting their kids in school and all of that so there is so much to do for a long time and then that kind of 6 to 8 month mark or maybe a little bit longer for for some people everything is now kind of in its new flow a new yes. normal in its new thing and then everything's not new anymore it's not exciting yeah. anymore and now it's kind of like reality has set in this is the new life yeah and then it's kind of well, what am I supposed to do? How do I start a new routine? And then those small things start to frustrate us. I can't find this at the grocery store. Where do I find? And those, those little things, because all the busyness and the newness is now kind of worn off. And I often, I say to people, moving and relocating is not the same as going on vacation. Everything is wonderful when you're on vacation. Even if you go somewhere for a month, it's wonderful the full month. And who cares if the bus is always late or the train's late? Like you don't even really notice because, you know, you're on vacation, but living is not like being on vacation. The first few months will feel like it, like, because it's also new, even if you're still spending time working and stuff like that. But then when the day-to-day really kind of sets in, that's when even me, I go through phases of loneliness. Yes. And even with my last move, and I'm like, 
maybe I made a big mistake. Maybe I shouldn't <laughs> have moved here. Maybe. And then I'm just like, no, Sally, this is part of the process. Yeah. It's, it's what you go through and it's normal because you decided to move to a place where you don't know anybody. You don't speak the language. I mean, English, they do speak a little bit. So I'm most recently had moved to, uh, uh, got a place in Montenegro, um, which is one of the Balkan countries in Europe. And, and I went through that and I'm now in a very small town and there is a lot less to do. So it's like, no, these things are normal. And think of yeah. why you bought the reason, what your plan is kind of re go back to the whys. Yes. Um, and, and then it, it makes it better, but um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, I know it because I've done it now five ish times, five or six yeah. times, and I'm planning on yeah. doing it again, maybe a little bit differently, but mm, now probably not. No, it won't be. <laughs> I mean, I, I've narrowed it down to maybe three destinations and one, I know one person, the other two, yeah. I haven't been to yet. So I don't know anybody. So you know, I do it as challenging as possible. Um, yeah. but yeah, it it does make sense. And then to take that pause and to kind of go back to the whys. Um, and I I think it also goes along with when people have their kind of new year's resolutions and they want to make these 10 big changes in their life. And within a few weeks or months, it it all kind of falls apart because it then becomes overwhelming. But when you make that move, you have to know that it will be overwhelming because absolutely everything is going to be different, especially if it's an international move, or even as you said, from one state to another, Yes. One company to another, you still have some of those those things. Same, a if you still have bit, the same yeah. home, same friends, so it does make it a little bit easier. Um, but the, the the bigger ones definitely are are harder. Yeah. And when you're the spouse or the partner of the one who has moved, they will automatically start to make more friends easier because they have work friends. Yeah, and kids yeah. will then have have friends at school. And yeah. so when you're the the partner that's moving. I don't want to just say like going along with, because that sounds bad, but like, you're the one, like you don't have things that are already set in place to make friends. Kids yeah. will always make friends at school. The, yeah. the person who's gone for work will always make friends and meet people immediately because they're working all day. They're going to that office job or, or exactly. whatever they're doing. Yeah. And the one that's not, then things are the hardest for that individual. Yeah. And, and it really is at that six month mark. And you sit there and you go, I deserve more. I should be doing more. I, I ought to be doing more. I need more. But you don't. I'm used to doing more. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't know what it is. And so you sit there and, and it becomes very insular. And I, I guess anyone listening to this, you know, it is normal. You will go through that. It, it, there's nothing you can do to avoid it. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing that it's going to happen and then just taking that opportunity to step back and say, well, what are my strengths and how do I want them to, to use them? How do I want them to show up? How do I want to serve others? And there's a, a pretty rudimentary, if you're changing countries or states, you're going to volunteer your time. You're going to learn a new skill or a language. You might start your own business. You might get a job. You know, they're the, they're the pretty obvious options that you're going to take. Um, which one's the best one for you? which one's going to give you the most fulfillment is going to come down to what are your strengths and how do you want to use them and how do you want to serve others? Because if you don't know that at your core, then you perpetuate the, you know, square peg round hole sort of situation and you don't want to do that. So before you jump into things, get really clear on what it is you do want and then Mm -hmm. go and find that specifically. Right. Um, I think that is 
like really a great note to to leave people with um, because it's it's very important and um, and and preparing ahead of time as much as you can like kind of evaluate your life right now what do you like about it what don't you like about it because I do find sometimes the knowing what we don't want or what we don't like can be just as important and in some cases more important because when we look at a lot of things we can say well I like all of these things but then it's like okay what don't I like or don't I want to do like I don't want to be stuck at home all day kind of just you know being at home so it's like okay great so whether it's going to the gym or finding a a Facebook group that meets up for coffee once a week of course you're not going to always like everybody but at least it's getting out of the house. And that was one thing when I first moved to Barcelona, um, there's an organization called Internations and um, meetup.com is massive in in most of Europe and definitely in Spain. Not so much here in Canada, at least I haven't found where I am right now. Um, But that was like a savior to me. Like there was so many events every day. So, and everybody that was going to those events, some were local, a lot were um, there, whether just temporarily or moving for yeah. months or years or whatever. And so it was fabulous. And I, I remember saying to a friend of mine at one point, I said, if I put as much time into my work, cause I did my social <laughs> life over the last few months, like, my, my, my work would be way better. But, um, so I was going to all kinds of events and meeting people, um, and, but it, it helped because then eventually you start to see the same people you start to connect and then it becomes okay. But it's, as you said, knowing that these things are going to happen, kind of evaluating our life and then making that decision of what things am I going to try? Maybe it's just something new that you've always wanted to do. What things do I like? What things will make me happy? Yeah. And certainly, you know, volunteering in some of those hardship locations, volunteering is a great way to connect with the community, to meet people, Mm -hmm. to, you know, get involved, to use your time in a a way that gives back as well. Um, So it's rewarding. um, But knowing knowing what's good for you and what's going to work for you. Um, And if you're introverted and this sounds awfully scary, then think about what you'd love to do. Like I've got a a client in was a friend now, a client in Taiwan. She loves knitting. And so she's found the local knitting group. They don't have to talk. They don't have to, but they get together for a cup of tea and they knit. So don't be put off if you're introverted and feeling like, well, that's not me. I can't do it. There's always going to be the right option for you. But just know that it takes time and you'll go through a sense of loss to find it. Right, right. And so, Emily, if people wanted to get in touch with you, um, to work with you, or just to get some great tips and things from you, where can they find you? We talked about finding your strengths and knowing how to use them as your key. I've got a a free um, assessment you can download. If you go to the leaptolead.com forward slash guide, you can download it there. I'm on social, Instagram and Facebook, the Leap to Lead. (laughs) And my website, of course, has a book of call, so you can book a call anytime. But thank you so much, Sally. It's been such a fabulous conversation. Oh, I I enjoyed it. It was great. And I know the listeners got some valuable information. And we'll also put links to all of those things within the show notes to make it easy for everybody to get in touch with you if they'd like. Thank you. Thanks, Sally. <laughs>